Mark 14, 32 to 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you, couldn't you keep what one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayal. How good it is to be together on Good Friday. My name is Evan. Let's pray that God give us understanding of his word. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach us through your word so that we might be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, today is Good Friday, and so naturally our minds and our thoughts turn towards the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But today I wanted to do something a little different with you. Uh, Today I wanted to share with you actually a time of great doubt that I experienced, a time where my faith in Jesus was deeply unsettled. It might sound strange to you that I might stand up here and, and talk about my doubts, but I'm the same as anyone else. I have my moments just as everyone does. And it was this passage that deeply unsettled me, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was this passage that answered my questions as well. And so that's why I wanted to share it with you today. But let me tell you the story. Uh, It happened in a strange place. Many years ago, I was uh, traveling, I was backpacking through Vietnam with a great friend of mine. uh, And we went and we visited many Buddhist temples. That's what you kind of do when you're in Asia. Uh, And one of them really stood out to me because right in the middle of the temple, there was a car. Uh, And that was kind of odd, but even more strange was the story that the car represented. And as the monk who was there slowly explained it to us, uh, this was the car that drove the monk Tich Quang Duc to a busy intersection in downtown Saigon on June 11, 1963. And once he got there, Tich Quang Duc, he calmly got out of the car, he sat down in the lotus position, and without any hesitation or fear, he doused himself in petrol and lit a match. He burned himself to death. He was protesting the treatment of Buddhists by the South Vietnamese government. David Halabastam, an American journalist, was on the scene. He said this, As he burned, he never moved a muscle, never uttered a sound. His outward composure in sharp contrast to the wailing people around him. And as I stood there listening uh, to this this Buddhist monk gently evangelise me, I was deeply moved not just by the story that he told, 
But I couldn't think of anything other than Jesus in the garden. And the question I kept asking myself was, how could this Buddhist monk die a better death than Jesus Christ? A calmer death, a death faced with, it seemed, more poise and more peace. And even possibly with more courage. How could there be a better death than the death of the Lord Jesus Christ? The man that I devoted my life to precisely because of his death. And as my mind churned, I began to realize actually there have been many better deaths than the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there have even been better Christian deaths too. So October 1555, Latimer and Ridley, two English bishops and reformers, were executed. They too were burned to death for their part in preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ to England against the wishes of Queen Mary. And Latimer spoke these words to Ridley as he was being tied to the stake, as the wood was being piled around them. He said, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. That was a good death. That was a brave death. And in fact, we have lots and lots of accounts of Christian men and women, great leaders and ordinary saints, being thrown to wild beasts, being burnt alive at the stake, being beheaded, being martyred in all sorts of ways. And in many of these accounts, they face their deaths far more calmly than Jesus did that night in the garden. Because what was Jesus like that night before he died? Mark 14 gives us a picture of a man who is in every way falling apart. In verse 33, Jesus began to be deeply distressed. Literally, Jesus is astonished. Up until now, it's always been other people who've been astonished by Jesus. Astonished by his miracles, astonished by his healings, astonished by his teachings, astonished by his wisdom, astonished by his fearlessness in the face of fierce opposition. But in the garden, Jesus is astonished. He is shocked to his very core. Something that he realizes, something that he he sees, something that he experiences stuns the eternal Son of God and sends him reeling. And so at the end of verse 33, he becomes troubled. And that word troubled there means that Jesus is overcome with horror. The kind of horror where you actually feel nauseous, your your stomach clenches, the bile rises in your throat. Fear becomes a physical cloud that rises up to choke you. And it reaches its climax in verse 34. Jesus comes right out and and says how he's, he's feeling. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death, stay here and keep watch. Jesus is saying, I am so horrified, I am so crushed, so disturbed, I feel like I could just die right now. Right here. That's how I feel. Jesus pleads with his disciples twice to watch with him and pray with him, but they just fall asleep. In one of the other gospel accounts of this moment in Luke chapter 22, we're even told that Jesus began to sweat blood and not some strange stigmata. Instead, my medical friends tell me that what's going on is that the blood vessels around his sweat glands are beginning to rupture and burst. His body is actually starting to come apart because of the mental anguish that he feels, his terror and his sorrow 
is killing his body one cell at a time. And so in verse 36, he prays to God. And his prayer is like a man pleading for his life. Because that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He says to God, is there any other way? Is there any other opportunity? Is there, is there any other way for me to, to not die? Jesus is desperate. Now why? Why is Jesus like this? Why did a Buddhist monk die a, a better death than the Lord Jesus Christ? Why has almost every follower of Jesus died a better death than the Lord Jesus Christ? But I want to make it very clear that it's not just dying that Jesus is afraid of. That's very important to understand. And we know this because Jesus has actually been predicting his death for quite some time now. Uh, he's been preaching that it was necessary for him to die and after that to rise again. So Mark chapter 8, verse 31, the Lord Jesus, he began to teach them and that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. A son of man was Jesus' way of referring to himself. And so Jesus knew that he must die. He knew that he was going to be killed. He knew as soon as he went up to Jerusalem, that was going to be what happened to him. And he knows the necessity of it. It's been his mission since the very beginning. Yet in the garden, Jesus genuinely struggles and asks for another way. He pleads with his father for another alternative. Why? The only conclusion I can come to is that in his death, Jesus must have been facing something that all the others haven't faced. Something that no other martyr, Christian or otherwise, has ever experienced or perhaps ever realized that they were experiencing. Something beyond physical death and torment. Something so terrifying that even Jesus feared it. And the answer is in the very heart of the prayer that Jesus prays to his Father in verse 36. The answer is the cup. Right there, he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. See, here's the very center of Jesus' distress, that he pleads with God that it would be the cup that is taken away from him. And so what is this cup that Jesus speaks of? And in the Bible, the cup is a, a picture, it's an image for the wrath of God on all of human evil, on all human selfishness and lies and exploitation and injustice and wickedness and rebellion. It is divine justice poured out on human injustice. All the anger of the living God the way that humanity has treated humanity and the way that humanity has treated God. And so in Jeremiah 25 verse 15, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I send amongst them. Or Isaiah 51 verse 17, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, you who have drained it to its dregs, the goblet that makes people stagger. 
You see, that night in the garden, it was not death that Jesus feared. It was death under the judgment of God. Under the wrath and anger of the living God, the cup that he was to drink was filled to the brim with God's fury. And it's the prospect of that sort of death that filled Jesus with such terror, such dread, such anxiety that he even pleads with his father that there might be another way. It's not physical death that Jesus feared. Countless numbers have faced physical death with poise and peace. It was to face the full anger of God that terrified Jesus. And rightly so. Let me put it this way. In this passage, Jesus begins to feel it and it's destroying him. Now, if just the sight of the cup, just the anticipation of the cup, threw Jesus into such violent agony, then what must its full measure have tasted like? And so why did Jesus do this? Why would Jesus willingly die this death? Now, when you think about it, Jesus actually walked away. There's no soldiers, there's no one watching, even the disciples have fallen asleep. Jesus could have slipped away and none would be the wiser. But Jesus doesn't do that. Why? And the answer is that there must have been an alternative to Jesus that was actually worse than facing God's anger. And there was. Jesus, the only thing worse than facing God's anger himself was for us to have to face God's anger. The only thing worse than drinking the cup of God's wrath was us having to drink the cup of God's wrath all the way down to its bitter dregs. In other words, Jesus' death on Good Friday, it was a sacrifice for us. A necessary sacrifice. We know it's necessary because of the prayer. After all, if anyone deserved to be delivered by God, it was Jesus. He is the perfect petitioner, God's only perfect son. A praying perfect prayer for an innocent man to be delivered. If God is going to say yes to any prayer, then surely it is this prayer. And yet God's answer is still no. God's answer is there is no other way. Either you face it or they will have to, God says. And so Jesus says, not my will be done, but yours. This is the only way. And so because I love them, because I don't want them to have to drink, I will drink it for them. I will stand in their place and take the punishment that they, that we, deserve. At the end of Jesus' perfect life is the single greatest act of love that has ever been known. Jesus, knowing full what it would cost, went to the cross for us. The heart of Jesus was something more powerful than the fear, more powerful than the agony, because in the heart of Jesus was love, love for you. 
A love so wonderful that even knowing the cost of which Gethsemane is but a taste, he still willingly died. And so let me put this as plainly as I can for us all. That is the death that we deserve to die. A death cut off from God, cut off from light and life and love. We, each one of us, deserve the wrath of God. It is our selfishness that sent Jesus to the cross. It is our sin that held him there, as the song goes. And it's not somehow that God hates us or or has it in for us. You see, God loves us too, but love is actually both the beginning and the end of the problem. God loves you. God cares about the way that you are treated. And so you can be sure that Every wrong that you have experienced, every injustice, every insult that you have ever suffered, God will put right and he will punish. The problem is that God also loves the person sitting next to you. And he loves your neighbor and your family and your friends and your classmates and your workmates. He cares about the way they are treated too. And so every wrong that they have experienced, every injustice that they have suffered, every insult that they have received... God too will write and he will punish, including the way that you have treated them. But Jesus drank our cup right down to the bitter dregs. He suffered the full measure of God's anger toward us instead of us having to experience it. He died as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is our substitute, come to do what we could not ourselves do to live the life we should have lived and to die the death we deserved to die. We disobeyed and we deserved the curse. He obeyed and he deserved the blessing. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus on that first Good Friday, he received the curse so that we might receive the blessing. To the death of Jesus on Good Friday, it is God's intolerable compliment to us. It tells us that we are so broken, we are so guilty, we are so corrupt, each and every one of us, that Jesus had to die. But it also tells us that we are so loved, that we are so cherished, that we are so cared for, that even knowing what it would cost, Jesus willingly died for us. And this is why Jesus dies such an unimpressive death. Gethsemane does not show us the weakness of Jesus' courage. It shows us the strength of his love. His love for you. You know how much Jesus loves you. Because you know how much it cost him to love you. And that's why Jesus' death is, in some respects, worse than a Buddhist monk's. Hitch Kwong Duk did not know the cup that he was about to drink. And had he known, he would not have faced death like he did. But this is also why Jesus' death is worse than many other Christians who follow him. Because no Christian, no believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, none who have trusted him, have ever faced the death that Jesus faced. 
He died that death so that we don't have to. He drank the cup so that we would never even have to taste it. Most we will ever face with physical death, and if you know the rest of the story of Easter after that, resurrection and eternal life. And so Jesus is actually the only person who's ever truly understood death. The only person who has ever, with full understanding, faced a death under the judgment of God. If those under the judgment of God did know what death meant, it would destroy them even more completely than it was destroying Jesus in the garden. And the Christian, well, they know what that death means, but we never have to face it. And so how much does our appreciation of Jesus' love grow once we realize the price he paid to love us? Because to understand the depth of Jesus' love for us, we must first understand the horror of a death under the judgment of God. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we do see the bravest, strongest, wisest, most perfect of all men crumble at the prospect of that death and yet face it anyway because he loves us. My friends, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And this is why Christians celebrate Good Friday. This is why Christians come to church on Good Friday. Because how should we feel on a day like today? How should we feel as we we look towards the cross of Jesus Christ, at the love that Jesus had for us, knowing that we deserve nothing from God but judgment, and yet we have received nothing from God but mercy. How do we feel on a day like today? There's only one word to describe, isn't there? Good. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the strength of his love that took him to the cross even knowing the cost. We thank you that he drank the cup of your wrath so that we might never have to taste it. He died the death we deserved so that we might enjoy the blessing he deserves. Lord, help us to never take for granted this huge gift of love that you have given to us. Help us to be reminded of the cost of it all. Forgive us, Lord, for being too busy or distracted by other things and for not fully recognizing what you have done for us freely in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.